0: Let's pray together, and then we'll open up God's Word. Thank you for what you're doing, Father, in our midst, and we thank you for Jesus Christ, the gift of your Son to us this Christmas season, and I pray, Lord, for me. Lord, as I open up the Word, I pray that you'd help me to be just clear and give me the right heart and give me wisdom and help, and would you move upon this this church community now and pour out a powerful work of your spirit through the word, that we, we each, each one of us, Lord, would in a clearer, more powerful way see what this season really is all about. So come and work now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Christmas is definitely a wonderful time of year, right? You're enjoying it. Uh, but it's also a bit of a production, right? I mean, I looked up some statistics. So on average, uh, there will be $800 spent for every man, woman, and child in this country on gifts or decorations or trees or that sort of thing. Um, almost 2 billion Christmas cards are going to be sent. All right, have you done yours yet? Right, okay, you, you, the numbers are still waiting for yours. Uh, almost 30 million Christmas trees, so there's lots and lots going on. So it, it can be a very big production, but... Of course, the problem is, and you've experienced this, is that you can do all the you know, the buying of the presents and the cards and the parties and the trees and the decorations and still not be experiencing what Christmas is really all about. So what I want to do this morning is have us listen to someone who met the meaning of Christmas. He, he personally met the meaning of Christmas. I want us to listen to him, And learn from him of what Christmas is all about. So let's turn in our Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. And as we always say, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We'd love to give you one to look on with us this morning. We are passionately committed to studying the scriptures here at Mercy Hill Church. And this morning we want to dig into the first four verses of of 1 John chapter 1. And if you get one of the Bibles we're passing out, 1 John 1 is on page 1021. In the Bibles that we're passing out. First John, the book you're turning to, was written by John. Okay? John was a fisherman. He lived in Palestine uh, in the first century A.D., and he was powerfully transformed by meeting Jesus Christ. And he wrote the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So he's written four books in the New Testament. And this letter, 1 John is all about how he discovered life. What life is really all about. Because you know, there's more to life than just working and eating and sleeping and playing. There's, You can do all those things and not really experience life as it was meant to be experienced. And John writes this letter to tell us about the life that he discovered. That's what I want us to look at this morning. But before we dig into this passage... Uh, Just think about yourself. Um, what do you pursue to, to feel alive? What do you run after to get filled up and to get energized and to get passionate and to feel like this is living? What, what do you, what do you pursue to really live? This last week, uh, Justin Henson, who's in our home group, sent me just a fascinating article written by a guy named Eric Wiener, who's an author. He's written this book called Man Seeks God. And in in this article, which was an excerpt from his book, he describes his search for life. And listen to what he says. See if you can relate to this. He says, the 17th century French philosopher Blaise Pascal coined the term, God-shaped whole to describe the yawning void that is the human condition. Over the years, I've attempted to fill my God-shaped hole with all manner of stuff, food, sex, bags, he likes leather tote bags, That's, that was in the article earlier, success, more food, travel, drugs, books, more food, leather-bound notebooks, Reds Infandels, Cuban cigars, yet more good food, pretentious foreign films, and once briefly and ill-advisedly a concoction of Guinness and Jack Daniels imbibed through a plastic funnel. (laughs) He concludes, none of this has worked. Okay? So notice he describes the human condition as having a yawning void. We're all looking for something to fill up that yawning void something to give us life but nothing that eric weiner pursued gave him the life he was looking for nothing filled that void nothing gave him the life that he was seeking john in first john tells us how he found life so let's take a look at what he says he found what filled his yawning void first john chapter 1 Verses 1 through 4, look at what he says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest visible, tangible, real, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Okay, so what life is John talking about in these verses? That's what he's describing in this letter. First John is all about this life, but he gives us enough clues in these first four verses so we can figure out what the life is. I notice first of all, he says this life was from the beginning, first words of verse one, that which was from the beginning. so this life that satisfies our yawning void was an existence before the Civil War, it was an existence before uh, the Roman Empire, it was an existence before creation from from the beginning. It's existed, And that's important because if I told you that that the solution to your yawning void kind of popped into being maybe 10 years ago, you'd think, well, I don't know about that. This has stood the test of time. It's got antiquity behind it. So this life was from the beginning. And second, I noticed in verse two that this life is eternal. Notice how John says this. The life was made manifest, and we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life life It's eternal. It lasts forever. Once you taste of it, it will last forever for you. And, and that's, that's helpful because, you know, jobs come to an end, careers move into retirement, movies all end up running the credits. Everything in this life, you know, death will bring it to an end. But here's life that's eternal, eternally filling that yawning void. Okay, so, but what is it? It's from the beginning. It's eternal. What is it? What is it? Huge clue. Verse 2. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father. Okay, so the life that fills our yawning void was from the beginning. It's eternal, and it was with the Father. Now, if you've read John's Gospel you know what John's talking about here, right? Who or what is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ, right? And you can see that crystal clear in 1 John 5, verse 12. So go back to the last chapter, 1 John, a couple pages to the right. Look at what he says in 1 John 5, verse 12. We'll see that the life is Jesus. 1 John 5, verse 12. Whoever has the Son the Son of God, Jesus Christ, has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So the life, John says, that has filled his yawning void, the life that will fill your yawning void is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, how can John be so sure? How does he know that? Says who? Okay? And you might think, well, you know, it's just that John had a lot of faith. You know, faith doesn't need reasons. Faith just kind of closes its eyes and leaps out some kind of blind leap of faith without needing any reasons. Isn't that what the Bible teaches we're supposed to do? Thank you. No! The Bible is full of reasons. God gives us reason after reason after reason. And here in these verses, John tells us how he can be absolutely sure that Jesus is real. And that the life he gives us in himself is absolutely real. Look at what he says in verse 2. He says, The life was made manifest. That word made manifest means it was made real, it became visible, it became tangible. The life was made manifest. And we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, made real to us, made visible to us, made tangible to us. So God had this life become tangible, real, visible to John and the other disciples. So when did God do that? When did that happen? Now turn back to John's Gospel, chapter 1. This is back to the left, page Uh, 886 in the Bibles we just passed out. Look at John chapter 1. Keep your finger in 1 John 1. Go back to the Gospel of John chapter 1, page 886. I want to read to you a couple verses in this first chapter. And notice all the parallels between what he says here in John's Gospel and what he wrote in his first four verses of his letter. John, Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. When did God make this life manifest to us? Let's read. Verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Now in John's Gospel, he describes Jesus as the Word. Jesus is the Word, the message from God to us. So in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. Verse 4. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And then skip down to verse 14. And the word, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the word became flesh. The word became flesh. So Jesus Christ, fully God, became a man. The word became flesh, okay? So here's the manger, okay? The word became flesh, became flesh. Not just fully God, but became fully man. Fully God and fully man. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, John says. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So when did God make this life manifest to John so that he could touch and see and hear? It was 2,000 years ago. A little town outside of Jerusalem called Bethlehem a baby born to Mary and Joseph named Jesus. No room for them in the inn, laid in a manger. Now with that picture in mind, go back to 1 John chapter one. How did John know that this life is real? That Jesus is really the life that we were meant to have, the the life that would fill our void. It's not because he took some blind leap of faith. It's because he, look at verse one. It says, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, he heard with his own ears, which we have seen with our eyes, he saw it with his own eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That's how John knew. He heard with his own ears. He heard Jesus teach. And and when Jesus taught, things that he said filled his soul with peace and caused his heart to leap with joy he heard with his own ears. And John says that he saw with his own eyes. His own eyes saw Jesus talk to blind Bartimaeus, whose eyes were dead. And he said, be healed. And his eyes were healed. John saw that with his own eyes, saw blind Bartimaeus' eyes being healed. He saw Jesus, remember the story about the gale force winds in the Sea of Galilee and the disciples are all fearing for their lives and Jesus says, quiet! And the gale force winds stopped. And John saw that with his own eyes. And he saw Jesus commanding Lazarus, corpse for four days, decomposing, stinking, come forth, Lazarus. And he saw Lazarus come out of the tomb alive. John heard with his own ears, and he saw with his own eyes, and he touched with his own hands. There's a verse in Luke 24 after the resurrection. Jesus says to the disciples, See my hands, nail pierced hands, see my feet. Nail-pierced feet, he says, touch me and see that it's me. John touched with his own hands. He heard with his ears, he saw with his eyes, he touched with his hands. God had made Jesus, the reality of Jesus, the Son of God, our life, manifest to John and to all the disciples. But this is huge. Here's one of the reasons why. Lots and lots of people have opinions about what life's all about. Okay, you can go down to Barnes and Noble, check out the self-help section. You'll see all kinds of answers, all kinds of people with all kinds of opinions about what life's really all about. And so here's the kind of picture I have. Let's just say there's, there's a curtain up here. You can see one there, but just imagine there's a curtain up here, and we're all this side of the curtain, and behind that curtain is what life's all about. So we're all out here, and we're wondering, you know, and, and people have all kinds of ideas. Some think it's the Buddha who is life, and some think it's just the unity of all things in creation and in the universe. That that's what life's all about. Getting in sync with, with, you know, the universe. Other people think it's like Krishna or Muhammad or some people think there's nothing there. This is all that there is and then it's over. So everybody, we're all out here on this side of the curtain having our opinions about, you know, what life's really all about. But here's what God has done. He has just simply opened up the curtain. Well, I should go over here. He has opened up the curtain. And this is what life is really all about. The Word, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became flesh and dwelt among us. God opened up the curtain and said, you don't need any more opinions. You don't need any more people wondering. I'm showing you. You can hear. You can see. You can touch. You can feel. I'm making this real to humanity. The curtains are opening and I'm manifesting what life is all about to you. It's all about my son, Jesus Christ, knowing him, knowing him is what life is all about. That's what John says. And that's why John knows for sure. This is life. I've seen, heard, touched, and my yawning void has been satisfied in knowing God through the person of Jesus Christ. So John experienced this. And he turned from whatever else he was trusting to satisfy him, put his trust in Jesus, and for the first time, filled, yawning, void, satisfied. That's how John can know for sure that this is all true. Now, also in these verses, he talks about what it means to experience this life. Like, what does it mean? And look at how he describes it in verse 3. This is really interesting. That which we have seen and heard is manifested. So, that that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So, John wants us to enter into the fellowship that he has with the Father and the Son. It's all about fellowship. Now, the word fellowship, what does that mean? It means that you share in something, you experience something, you, you personally know something. And so this life is all about sharing together in having fellowship with and sharing in the real experience of God the Father through Jesus the Son, sharing together and experiencing God the Father and Jesus. That's what life's all about. Now this is huge because a lot of people think that what Christianity is about is uh. Agreeing to certain truths about God, Jesus, the cross, those kinds of things. They think it's just about agreeing to certain truths. And the truths are really, really important. The truths are essential. But Christianity is much more than just agreeing to truths. Christianity is about experiencing the presence of God the Father, through Jesus the Son, not just agreeing to truths about God the Father and Jesus, but experiencing the the presence of God the Father and Jesus the Son. Now let me just give you a little illustration okay here 's a jar of honey okay uh, a okay, little small, one of these honey bears, okay now right now you, you all I, I assume you, you agree to truths about this honey. do you all agree that, that this honey bear exists? Okay, do you all agree that this is clover honey, if you can see? So this was made from clover, okay, take my word for it. You probably can't read this, but it's all natural also, and it is a fat-free food. Is that deceiving or what? Okay, all right, so anyway, just in case you were nervous about it, all right. So you can believe all these truths. Do you believe that this honey is sweet? Yeah, okay, so, so you can believe all these truths. So Okay, so you're believing all these truths. Now, believing truths about honey, though, is profoundly different than experiencing the reality of honey. Let me show you. I've been waiting for this for a couple of days now. Okay, it is fat-free. <laughs> okay, now see, up to this point, I've just believed the truth about honey, but now I'm going to move into a whole new dimension. All right? Whoa. That's different than just believing the truths, okay? Not only that, but if I come down here, this is another spoon, okay? And I'm going to, I want to have fellowship with my wife in this, so it's fat-free. It's fat-free, believe it. Okay, see, now, now we've moved into a whole new dimension of fellowshipping together in the fellowship we have in experiencing the reality of honey, Okay, now see, that's a huge difference. Many, many people think that what Christianity is all about is just believing truths about God or about Jesus. And that's important. It starts there. But that's not, it, it, it's, it's not the whole sum and substance. It's fellowship with the Father and fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. It's experiencing The presence of God the Father and the presence of Jesus Christ and sharing and and then having fellowship with each other in our fellowship with God the Father and Jesus the Son. And that's what fills the void. That's what fills the yearning void. It's the reality of God the Father through Jesus the Son. It's a a honey-tastingly real thing. Okay? So the life that fills our void is fellowship with God the Father and Jesus the Son, experienced with others, where we fellowship in that together. That's what fills the yawning void. Now, one last question. Why does John tell us this in these four verses? Why does he write this letter to tell us about that? What's, what's the point? Two reasons he mentions to us. The first one is because he wants us to experience it. He wants you to experience this. Look what he says in verse 3. That which we've seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. See, you could think that the only people who get to experience this are, are the disciples who lived back there, but John says no. Here's Why? Jesus taught something very interesting. He said to John and to the disciples, I'm going to go after my death and resurrection and ascension. I'm going to ascend into heaven. I'm going to be gone. But it's going to be better for you that I go because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who will make me as real to you as if I was here with you physically. It's better for you that I go because I'm going to send the Helper. He will make my presence and God the Father's presence real to you. See, that's the main job of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is to make God the Father and Jesus the Son real to us in our experience, to glorify Christ by opening the eyes of our hearts so we see and taste and feel and experience the very glory of Jesus Christ and of his Father. So the Holy Spirit... Is given so that even though Jesus isn't here physically now, he's in heaven now with the Father, but he's poured out the Holy Spirit, and it's by the Holy Spirit that you can have a honey tastingly real experience of God the Father and Jesus the Son. So, who can experience this life? Everybody reading this letter. John writes this letter so that we can experience this fellowship with each other in fellowshipping with. God the Father and Jesus. Now, how do we experience this? Let me just give you two steps. Two crucial steps. The first is, you can see it down in chapter 1, verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a big barrier that keeps us from experiencing the life that God has sent to us in the person of Jesus. And that big barrier is our sin. Sin just simply means pursuing other things to satisfy that yawning emptiness. We pursue all kinds of other things, but see, that's what's, I mean, that's at the root of all sin. That's, where, that's what racism is about. That's what greed be, is behind, greed. That's what's behind, you know, bitterness and pride and, and hatred and, and animosity and covetousness and all those things. What's behind all of those is seeking something besides Jesus Christ as my, my heart satisfaction, something besides him. And so we've got to confess that sin to God and, and ask Him to forgive us. How can He forgive us? There needs to be forgiveness because God's holy and righteous, and every sin has to be punished because He is just. But the good news is, Jesus came to earth. One of the reasons He came was so He could die on the cross in our place to pay for our sin. And so the, the most amazing thing happens when you confess your sins to Jesus Christ. When you say, I'm sorry. I'm turning from those other things I used to trust to satisfy my heart and I'm turning to you. Forgive me, change me, help me. When you really mean that, the moment that you pray that, all of your sins are forgiven. Past sins, all of them. Present sins, future sins, all of them forgiven. His power goes to work and starts to change you. And at that very moment, you're adopted into God's family. God is your father. He will pour the Holy Spirit out upon you and mm, you will taste... So the first step is to confess your sin to Jesus. And then the second step is to trust Jesus as your void-filling treasure. Trust him. Seek him. When your heart's empty, turn to Jesus Christ. Say, help me. Open up the word of God. Ask brothers and sisters what scripture would be helpful. Pray with me. Follow Jesus, obey him, and as you obey him in the path of obedience, he will be manifesting himself to you, making himself real to you as you follow the path of obedience. Trust Jesus as your void filling treasure. As you live a life of confessing your sins to Jesus and trusting him as your void filling treasure, you will experience this fellowship that John's talking about. Your heart will be filled, your heart will be satisfied, your heart will be at peace, your heart will be content, you'll be alive you can work, you can sleep, you can eat, you can drink, you can play. Do all those things and not live. This is living. First John 5:12. He who has the son, Jesus Christ, has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. Now one thing I just love about this is life does not depend on your circumstances. Isn't that amazing to think about? I mean, you might look at your life right now and just say, I need to get a life, all right? I don't have any, my circumstances are a disaster. Everything's going wrong. The beautiful thing about what John has experienced here and what he's describing in these words is he's describing a life that is not dependent upon any of your circumstances. So you can today... Turn your heart towards Jesus Christ, cry out to him, confess, meet him, ask him for help, and he will so meet you that even if your circumstances haven't changed at all, you'll be alive in him. Sickness, financial pressure, relational difficulties, discouragement, none of those circumstances affect the life. The life is independent of those circumstances. It's just an amazing thing that God's given to us. So that's the first reason John wants to tell us about this life, because he wants us to share with him in it. But there's a second reason. Very interesting what he says in verse 4. Did you catch that? Second reason. He says, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. His joy be complete. My dad likes to quote a Swedish proverb, which I've, I think I've mentioned to you before. A shared joy is a doubled joy. Anybody heard that before? Most of you have. A shared joy is a doubled joy. And see, that's how fellowship with God the Father and Jesus the Son works when we, when we share with other people. Okay, here's what happens. When, when you feel and experience The truth of God and Jesus, the the glory, the beauty, the majesty, the faithfulness, the love, the tenderness, the gentleness, the compassion. When the Holy Spirit works in your heart and you, you go from believing those truths to seeing them with the eyes of your heart and feeling them, your heart is so full that you want to share with others. You're filled and you want to share and you want to share for, well, one reason is because it's for their good. But another reason you want to share is because it's for your joy. Because when you share, you know, it's just like, I've said this before, it's like when you read, a, you know, like one of the Sunday paper funnies or if you read it on the internet or whatever, you want to say, hey, hon, did you see this? Right? Why do I want to call Jan to, to see Dilbert that day? She never gets Dilbert. But anyway, you know, <laughs> why, why do I want Jan to... Because when she laughs about it, I enjoy it even more. Right? A shared joy is a doubled joy. And when you experience the reality of God the Father and Jesus the Son... You will be so filled that you will want to share it with everyone you meet and everybody you talk to for their good, because they can have life, and for your joy, because as they get drawn into that, then your joy will increase. So here's my challenge to you, Mercy Hill Church. Same challenge I said last Sunday morning. Step out of your comfort zone, okay? Between now, we got seven more worshiping days, until Christmas, right? And so between now and next Saturday night, next Sunday morning, everywhere you go, everyone you meet, seek to share with them what you have in Jesus Christ. Seek to show them the life you have in Jesus and share with them the life that you have in Jesus. Seek to draw lovingly, humbly, not argumentatively, not presumptuously, but humbly and servingly. Draw them into the fellowship that you have with the Father and the Son so that they can share with you in the joy. Do that in your in your home group with each other who are already believers. Do that with neighbors who don't know Christ yet. Do that with work associates. Because as you share that joy, a shared joy will be a doubled joy. It'll be for their good, and it'll be for your joy. And as you do that, that will be experiencing what Christmas is really all about. That's it. So let's stand. Let me pray this over us. Amazing thing you've done, Father, 2,000 years ago, in parting the curtain, manifesting your own self in the person of Jesus here on earth. So John could hear and see and touch, and so that through his death our sins could be forgiven. And as he pours the Holy Spirit through faith, as we trust him, as he pours the Holy Spirit into our lives now, we can have that life made manifest to us as well. So Father, I pray for people here this morning who maybe have never heard this before or thought about it in this way before. Father, I pray that right now this morning that they would just turn to you and confess their sins and trust Jesus to give them life. Trust Jesus to give them that void-filling treasure in himself. So I pray that you would do that, Lord, right now. I pray, Father, for people here where maybe their life in the past has involved experiencing your nearness, feeling your presence, but it's kind of been watered down to just believing truths, I pray that right now you would stir a fresh hunger and a thirst to experience all that you have for them, that they would have fellowship with you, God the Father, and Jesus the Son, that they wouldn't just know about you, but that they would fellowship with you. I pray that you would do that, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you would do a powerful work in each of us who knows you, that we would, everywhere we go this week, everybody we talk to, that we would long to draw them into the fellowship that we have with the Father and the Son. Free us from fear. Fill us with love, humility. So manifest your life to us, Lord, that we long to share that fellowship with others work in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces, in our circle of friends and our family members. Do a powerful work. I pray, Lord, that you'd come with your power right now. In Jesus' name. Thank you for John. Thank you for saving him. Thank you for having him write these, these words. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.